0: When we cry out to God in desperation, God hears us. That's what we learned today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering Psalm chapter 60 in about five minutes. We're gonna teach on it. It's gonna be a very good passage. So stay there. Now, Corey and Ryan are here with pieces and what are they gonna do?
1: I'm doing a bit of a fun one today, taking a look at uh, the evidence for David as a historical person. Ryan?
2: Well, in the Psalms, David often cries out to God about his abuse at the hands of King Saul. So today I wanna look at Saul and how he started out well, but ended miserably.
0: All right, very good. That's gonna be a very interesting piece as well. Janice?
3: Prayer in difficult times.
0: All right, so get your Bible guide out. Turn to today's passage as we begin to study the Bible. And let's listen. If you don't have a Bible guide, stay there because we'll tell you how to get one in just a moment.
3: Psalm 60. Oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it might be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Saccoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Psalm 60
0: Psalms chapter 60, 61, 62, 63, and 64. Seems like a lot of chapters, but they're short chapters. And I want to tell you something. These are good. You see, there is no question that this world is troubled. Is there really? The world is troubled. There's something wrong. The Bible identifies this trouble as S-I-N. Rebellion against the absolute authority of God. When we realize that sin is our enemy, we begin to change the way we think about sin. Now, remember that because we learn and understand that the only way to overcome sin and evil is to fully submit to the work and word of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus died on the cross about 2000 years ago because he was sentenced to rebellion that he did not commit. Was our rebellion. But here's the interesting part. Death could not hold him because he was God. And he rose from the dead three days later. The time in which we live now is an opportunity for us to speak and live the good news or the gospel. So that as many who hear would hear his voice and follow him as Lord. Clearly, this is a serious threat to the enemy of our soul, and as a result, the enemy of our soul gathers as many as possible to destroy the people of God and their message of the gospel or good news. Well, Psalm 60 teaches us how to pray during this time right now, and that's exactly what we're going to study today. Scatter our enemies, Lord, and I want to tell you something. Take your Bible guide turn to it. This is a good one today. We're going to be talking about it. You can call us or you can write to us or you can go to Bible Discovery TV, click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. We very much appreciate them and they've helped us and your strong support has kept us there. Now, also, I want to say that you can download it after you've made a donation of your amount on BibleDiscoveryTV.com and see it just as we have it here. Print it out, Beautifully and nice, and you can be a part of it. Father, I pray today, as we look at scatter our enemies, Jesus told us to learn how to love our enemies. And it's hard for us because, Father, we're human. And we pray that you would give us your attitude, give us your spirit, and help us in this time to overcome and help us to show who you are through us in this very tumultuous time. Thank you, Father, and we praise your name. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we all said together, amen, or make it so. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Psalm 60, verses 1 to 5. Here is what the first verse says. It says, O God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. Now, the first verse of all of these Psalms is wonderful. A man who is repenting. Verse two says, you have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You have given a banner to those who fear you. That it may be displayed Because of the truth. Now, I want to read that again. Go back to verse four. You have given a banner to those who fear you. I want you to hear that today. That it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That your beloved may be delivered. Save your right hand and hear me. Oh, God. this, This is just an amazing prayer. You see, when we cry out to the Lord in repentance, he hears us. God hears us. We should always go first to God for clarity and truth. I like to tell people, you know, they usually come to me and they say, well, I've got this disease, that disease, that, and I use, I can't pronounce them. And I say, well, have you prayed about it? Because you got all those fancy names, which the doctor gave you, but You need to pray about it. Did you pray about it? No, I just went to the doctor. Go to the doctor, fine. But you need to pray about it before you go. Say, Lord, help me. When we pray, we have situations in our life. Pray about it. You have circumstances in your business. Pray about it first. Pray first. Seek the Lord first. Because that's what Christians do. We come to God. He is our only source of help and strength. We come to Him. He alone, alone, is the only way we can deal with things. Very important. Psalm 60, verse 6: God has spoken in His holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem, and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab, my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Wow. God never turns against his promise. God never turns against his promise. The covenant of God is centered on our covenant with Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Everything we do as Christians is now centered on Jesus Christ. So he should be the center of our life. Christian You want to call yourself a Christian that understand that Jesus should be the center of your life. Everything that God does is based on that. So when we come to the Lord, we always are repentant. But we say, Lord, help us to do your will, your way. You know, when Jesus told his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Very important. We need to keep that in mind. Now watch this. Here we go. Psalm 69 to 12. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. It is God who defeats our enemies, not governments, not certain kingdoms. The power of God is immeasurable. It's not a kind of kingdom, not a kind of belief. It's only God, Jesus Christ exclusively, the power of the Holy Spirit totally, Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Father, I pray today that you would speak to your people. We need to repent. We've sinned in this country and other countries in the world. We're sinners, help us, Lord. We take you as Lord of our life. Help our family, help our friends. Be with us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what we ask. And Father, we pray today that you would deliver us from the foolishness that has gone on. Help us, oh God. This is what we pray. And we thank you, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And every single one of us said, Amen. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy, you buy this hairspray and you're gonna be happy. You smell like this flower, you're gonna be happy. You take this drug, you're gonna be happy. You buy this car, you're gonna be happy. See, it all tells me I'm gonna be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living.
1: All right, so today you and I are going to be taking a look at King David, but from a historical angle. So how do we know that King David was actually a real person and not just kind of a a myth, a, a made up history for ancient Israel? Well, check it out. That King David existed as a historical person was settled in the 1990s. The discovery of the partial remains of a monumental stella at Tel Dan, the first fragment in 1993 and the second in 1994, coincided with a re-examination of another stella called the Mesha inscription or Moabite stone. Both monuments were erected by enemies of Israel and Judah, and both mention the royals of Judah as belonging to the House of David. In a phrase like House of David, the house is not a literal building, but is metaphorical, referring to the dynasty of a founding father, the descendants of an establishing king. Famously, the Bible records that God promised to build David a house, again meaning a lineage, not a physical palace. The Tel Dan Stella is named for the city it was discovered in. We know it today only in part from those fragments found in secondary use in the early 90s. Scholars deduce from its contents and age that it was written by Hazael of Damascus, an Aramean king of the city-state of Damascus that's featured heavily in the Bible and had great success warring against Israel and Judah. The inscription commemorated his victories over Israel and Judah, and would have stood in the gate of Dan for decades until the city was recaptured by Israel's King Jehoash, and likely at that point, smashed into its fragments and reused as building materials. Its fragments today record whole, partial, and implied names of several biblical kings, and lists the kings of Judah as of the house of David. The House of David is also referred to in the Mesha inscription that records the same event from a different perspective as 2 Kings chapter 3. This inscription was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, enemy of Israel and Judah, at that time ruled by Joram and Jehoshaphat. The inscription also mentions Omri, verifies that Chemosh was the Moabite national deity, and several other elements of Moabite culture mentioned in the scriptures. Interestingly, there's also a disputed mention of David's name recorded in a victory inscription of Pharaoh Shishak, who attacked Judah during the reign of David's grandson, Rehoboam. This Egyptian inscription refers to a portion of Judah as the Heights of David. There are also several lines of physical evidence for David's kingdom to be found in archaeological data from the 10th century BC. In a newly released study, scholar Yosef Garfinkel brings together excavation reports and archaeological surveys from four sites to argue that evidence for a centralized government in Judah during David's reign can be demonstrated. Garfinkel believes that the core of David's kingdom began with four cities before expanding ever outwards, a picture that melds well with the biblical account. Garfinkel's excavations also revealed evidence for the architectural style of Solomon's temple in the form of a small shrine and for the Bible's record of King Rehoboam's building activities. You know, whenever I think about David in history, for me, what really strikes me is that it's the records of Israel and Judah's enemies. The enemies of the house of David who because they wrote to shame him, because they, they wrote in their hatred of him, have actually preserved his existence for us today. And it really makes me think about human enemies. And I mean, human enemies create horrible problems for us now. They can cause real suffering, uh, physical and emotional pain, and it can be really bad. But as long as God isn't our enemy, it's gonna be okay. God has a way of working things out. If not here on earth, Then in eternity, in the new creation. So I think for me, and I hope for you as well, we can take our cues from David here and, and do as he suggests, pour out our hearts to God, don't hold anything back, be real and truthful with God, but always land in trust that he is who he says he is and that his goodness is going to make everything okay in the end. Human enemies are not fun. I know that's an understatement but God makes it worth it.
0: God makes us stronger than our enemies. Mm -hmm. He doesn't necessarily... See, we pray, we try to get out of trouble, but God doesn't take us out of trouble necessarily. What he does is he makes us stronger in the trouble so Mm -hmm. that we can overcome the trouble. And that's a very important distinction here, Corey. Thank you. Very good. Brian?
2: All right. Well, as we've been reading through the Psalms, you've probably noticed that a few of them center around David's abuse at the hands of King Saul. I'm talking specifically about Psalm 18, Psalm 52, Psalm 54, Psalm 57, and Psalm 59. And with that in mind, I want to look back at some of the specific sins that Saul committed that in the end cost him his crown, his dynasty, and ultimately his life. While this divine punishment might seem harsh to us, his sins are actually very similar to some other biblical figures. And just like Saul, they paid dearly for them. And all these sins also reflect a deeper issue. Take a look. By all appearances, Saul was the obvious choice for Israel's very first monarch. He was tall, handsome, and humble. In fact, he even lived up to the hype at first. But as time went on, he grew arrogant and proved to have little regard for the Lord's commands and repeatedly failed the test of faith. This was first seen through an unlawful sacrifice at Gilgal, Although he was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come make the sacrifices, when the prophet didn't arrive at the appointed time, Saul, at the brink of war, decided to make the sacrifice himself. At another time, Saul made a rash oath which prevented his army from eating until they secured a victory. So faint were they at the end of the battle that they rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Something strictly forbidden in God's law. But his final undoing was his defiant disobedience regarding God's order to utterly annihilate Amalek. Instead, he spared Agag their king, and the best of their sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. The fact that Saul's kingship and dynasty were stripped from him because of these failings isn't surprising in light of God's numerous personal forewarnings against such disobedience. It's also consistent with how God dealt with similar sins in the past. For instance, just like Saul made an unlawful sacrifice, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu offered profane fire before the Lord. Similarly, Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas used God's sacrificial system for their own gain and pleasure. Just as with Saul, all of these men died for their sins. Furthermore, because Eli refused to put a stop to Hophni and Phinehas' behavior, God removed his entire household from the priesthood, just as he removed Saul's household from the kingship. And just as it was with Saul, all of these men honored themselves and others more than God. And that was the real heart of the issue. While breaking the sacrificial laws was a very serious sin in the eyes of the Lord, it was less about sacrifice and more about obedience to God out of love, respect, and fear for Him. As Samuel declared to Saul, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So Samuel very clearly lays out the root of Saul's problem, which was a refusal to follow and obey the Lord. See, Saul didn't love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it really showed. As Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Saul repeatedly failed to do so. Obedience is what God wants from us. As Samuel reminded Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Whoa, did you hear that? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And of course, Saul later committed that sin as well. Saul clearly didn't have a heart after God, and so God replaced him with a man who did. As the Apostle Paul declares in Romans 11.22, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. So let's love God with all of our being and serve him as David did. It's all about him and his kingdom, not ours.
0: It really is important to remember that God has is the same throughout history. And he has said things to the people of Israel, and he said things that we can... Understand about him today. And so that's important to remember that that's very good. Both Mm -hmm. of you excellent pieces Janice
3: and building upon a lot of the things that you both touched on and Ryan you talk about the heart of David Corey you talked about David pouring out his heart before God and 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 coming in honesty and I think that's something that can be easy or difficult for us You know, because a lot of times it's difficult for us to trust. And, you know, we may have had a past or we may be living in the present, a situation in the present where we haven't been able to trust anyone. And so now you want me to put my trust in God. And so it could be a very easy thing for you or not so easy. And, and the Psalms is a really interesting portion of the Bible where we see in these chapters, the 150 chapters of Psalms, we see them kind of going back and forth from praise and, and honoring God to going through trials and, and situations. And, and we see, David, in Psalm 60, it's this urgent prayer For the restored favor of God, you know, David starts off by, oh, God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. He's coming to God saying, we know we've sinned. We need your restoration. We need that same honesty with God. We need to to come to him. We need to understand that this is a God who has created us, he's created you, he has designed you, he knows what you think, he knows the choices that you're going to make even before you've made them. We're going to hear about that in the Psalms, talking about God knowing he's fashioned the days before us, even before they're even here. We're going to hear these things. This is the God who loves you. This is a God that you can learn to lean into, to learn to trust in. And it's something that will develop. It will develop and you will see the faithfulness of God. And it's not always in the ways that we think, because his thoughts are not ours. His ways are not our ways. But you know, looking at Psalm, you go through this Psalm 60, this urgent plea of David. then Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. Here he is coming again. But then listen to what he says, for you have been a shelter for me, David says, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. And he says this, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. This is how David approaches God. He, is, he has had a lifetime of learning from God. Psalm 62, here he says in verse 5, starting in verse 5, My soul wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. This is where David puts his trust as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, let us do the same. Let us put our trust in the refuge and the strength of the Lord our God. He is our our salvation. He is our defense. And Rod, I, I don't know how else to say it except to encourage people to begin to put their trust in God, to put their trust in his word. This is where we get our strength, This is how we learn.
0: If you have an Android phone, if you have an iPhone, that's great, but you can get the Bible Discovery TV app. Look up Bible Discovery TV, and you know what? You'll find us. We've got our 24-7 streaming channel. Everything's there. So you just go to that, download it, it's free, and you can watch it on your TV set, or you can watch it on your phone, your TV. Now, let's pray today. Father, I pray today for you to come back soon and help us to get our lives in order, so that we can demonstrate who you are.